welcome to episode three of The Full English. For those new to this podcast, I'm Pam McLaughlin. I used to be a teacher and now I'm a product manager for Edexcel English Qualifications. If you'd like to contact me with suggestions for future guests or any other comments, I'd love to hear from you. So please send an email to thefullenglish at pearson.com. Today's guest is the amazing Benny Cara. Having met Benny and listened to her keynote speeches, I know how passionate she is about diversity, so I'm really happy she's a guest on this episode. Benny is a deputy head teacher in the East Midlands and she speaks, writes and trains on diversity in the curriculum alongside supporting schools to diversify their curriculum. She co-founded Diverse Ed. She's a supporter of grassroots online movements such as Women Ed, BayMed Network and LGBT Educate. She recently featured as a keynote speaker for Diverse Ed 2020 and the Team English National Conference. Her book, A Little Guide for Teachers, Diversity in Schools, is out later this year. So let's get straight into this episode, as I know you'll find it inspiring and really useful when reflecting on the diversity in your own curriculum. So hi, Benny, and thank you so much for joining me today. No doubt you'll be very busy for the rest of this month in school, starting with the A-level results, which come out in two days. So I'm really, really happy that we managed to fit this podcast in today. So welcome. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. And, and as you can imagine, a lot of English teachers are sitting anxiously waiting for results this year. And it's, uh, it's nice to still have some time to be able to talk about curriculum before we get into the frenzy of the world of results that- and all that we'll be bringing Yeah, that is a really good point, actually. So we're just going to talk about, as you say, the curriculum today and diversity, which is going to be fascinating, I'm sure, and really useful to many of the listeners who listen to this who are English teachers. Um, So let's start with the usual question I ask a guest, which is about themselves and it's about Mm -hmm. their own school days. So can you share a memory with us, anything you like, just something that stands out for you from school? Um, yes, I've you know thought about this <laughs> extensively, and and it occurred to me that I had quite an unusual experience when I was at primary school. At least I think it's unusual. Right. Um, I went to a very multicultural primary school, um, and they were fantastic. You know, I, I had a great experience there. But I remember a real quirk of assemblies, um, and I thought this was normal across the country. It may have been. Perhaps the listeners would like to let us know um, that, in that we had separate religious assemblies. So if you were Hindu, you went to Hindu assembly. And if you were Christian, you went to Christian assembly. And occasionally we all came together and had general assembly that was um, perhaps, for want of a better word, secular. And I remember being fascinated, even at that age, I must have been about eight or nine years old, um, as to why we had separate assemblies and why those people over there, the Christians, had to go off into a room. Um, what, were they, what were they talking about? Yeah. I mean, I knew what we were talking about in Hindu assembly. Mm. We had a, a really austere assembly leader, an external person who said the words pin drop silence a lot. Um, <laughs> but I, I was fascinated and I couldn't understand why I, I, I couldn't see into that room over there. Um and it was it, it was just such a, an odd thing. And it's only now as an adult that I think, was that normal? Uh, did everybody have Hindu assembly and Christian assembly and Sikh assembly? Uh, it, it, it's sort of to this day, I don't really understand. And I can see that it was done with such good intentions, this yeah. idea of, you know, this multicultural group of people and ensuring the acts of worship were representative. Um, and quite often now when I talk about diversity, I talk about connection. 
Um, so it seems like the, the opposite to that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I, my favourite bit of the story is also that the secular assembly, because um, we didn't have hymns, in our collective act of worship when we were all together that we defaulted to some very odd choices <laughs> um so i have this really strong recollection of linking arms with the people around me right. and singing along to rod stewart's sailing um <laughs> which, oh no I, when all else fails you 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 always have rod stewart um so yeah my, my favorite memory these days actually that does sound bizarre, all singing to Rod Stewart, the whole yeah. linking arms. But, and you know, as you say, it does seem to be everybody's separate. There is no connection there. Yeah, but when you had those other assemblies, you were all together. Yeah, yeah it's really, really strange, isn't it? How... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I'd like to think we've moved on in, in our awareness of diversity. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. And certainly, you know, my whole philosophy about diversity is, is about finding ways to um demystify the other rather than to yeah. kind of create mystery um, well so yeah. yeah because otherwise it just adds to the issues doesn't it yeah. really if everything is just like you say it's a mystery and it's like it's them and us or other or whatever which is wrong yeah. isn't it Absolutely. so yeah. yeah interesting okay well I'm going to be thinking about that afterwards because that's fascinating <laughs> and the Rod Stewart choice as well did you ever sing any other songs or was it just Rod Stewart from what you can I remember think I, I can remember the Rod Stewart really clearly and I and I think it was the old assembly staple about um <laughs> cauliflowers fluffy and cabbages green um <laughs> and the, the the broad beans are lying in their blankety bed I have oh. a really strong rem recollection of that one um but no Rod Stewart stands out Right. OK, good. <laughs> right. Well, moving on then, totally changing the subject from Rod okay. Stewart. I listened to you as a speaker recently at the Team English National Online Conference, as it was this year online. And it was really, really thought provoking and moving when you spoke about diversity in literature and your own experiences about that. And you. now you're an English teacher and a deputy head at a school in Derby. So can you just explain your own journey in terms of your life career and where you are now in that respect? Absolutely. So um, my background has always been as a, a student of literature. My degree was in English and European literature. So I think even when I was at undergraduate level, I was sort of trained to think in terms of connections mm. uh, between texts. And when I chose to become a teacher, I was in the inaugural cohort of to teach first in 2003. Um, and certainly my uh, concerns there were very much about learning to teach. The English curriculum as opposed to yeah. questioning it mm -hmm. and I happily taught the text that I was told to teach and and it really as the time has gone on you know we're talking 17 18 years I've yeah. started to be more critical of what we teach and more aware of the impact of what we teach um certainly because I'm not thinking about how we teach it anymore to the same of extent course. as I was yeah um, so, you know, I, I took on roles uh, in leadership in English because I felt that curriculum was something I was so interested in and I wanted to have a hand in creating the, the curriculum journey. Um, and that's led me to my current role. So as a deputy head, I, um, I'm responsible for teaching and learning, but also working uh, very closely with my colleagues on curriculum. And, and that's been my my um, kind of work in the last few years. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, conversations I've had with my colleagues about diversity have really triggered the thought processes that I've had about it. I wasn't particularly aware of perhaps some of the issues about diversity in, in education, um, but I met with the um, wonderful Hannah Wilson. Um, we worked together briefly 
and we co-founded Diverse Ed together mm-hmm. in yeah. 2018. And the idea was that you, know, you had all of these grassroots movements, women ed, LGBTQ, BAMED, but there was a space for intersectionality. In, and I've always been really open about my different identities um, and how they've impacted on my life. So being mm-hmm. a, an Asian woman, uh, being LGBT, um, you know, having a, a hearing impairment, so you know a kind of uh, a disability in that sense oh, right okay yeah um, so you know that idea of diversity became much more important as I went through those conversations um, and I wanted to ensure that we were doing justice to not only identities but the culture that we live in by making sure that our curriculum was fit for purpose um, and I started a, a curriculum workshop called colouring in my curriculum colouring in the curriculum yeah which was really about practical strategies as to how to implement a, a diverse curriculum and that didn't just mean in terms of race that also meant in terms of uh, gender sexuality um, gender assignment um, uh, yes and so it's been something that I've been working on in the last two years um, and this led to um, me writing a book and I yeah. think that's that's the journey that I've been on for um, for my career yeah that's interesting and it's good to think that you started off as you say from you know when you started as a trainee teacher and it was about you know um being able to teach the content sort of thing and yeah. now it's at the point where actually you've got that big impact mm-hmm. on the the impact on changing the content content or making the content you know more relatable etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the topic of our conversation today being around diversity yeah. i mean obviously specifically rate, relating to schools I noticed on Twitter you have the statement diversity is not a bolt on as your header background on Twitter. And I really, really love that. So I wondered if you could just unpick that a bit for the listeners. Absolutely. So I think, you know, our listeners will be familiar with the idea of Black History Month or LGBT History Month. Yeah. um, And that schools can often say, look, you know, we are absolutely diverse environments and we celebrate diversity. Um, But often it's sort of limited to that month you know we right do, yeah now that we is a good text. example we, yeah, yeah absolutely of we a have, bolt on yeah I yeah, haven't thought of that before it, I have to say that's a really good point yeah so it's it's that that for me I don't think it's a useful way of thinking about diversity because our culture is not you know well we have a month where um <laughs> black and Asian oh, no. people are present you know yes, we are here yes. all the time and mm-hmm. it, it is worth paying justice to 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 those people but uh, the term that I often use about this was coined by Sue Sanders, who is one of the founders of Schools Out, an absolutely wonderful woman. And she talks about usualizing. And I often use the word usualizing to talk about what we're doing in the curriculum or what we should right. be doing in the curriculum. Yeah. Um, and it's in direct opposition to the word normalizing. Um, normalizing suggests there is a, a standard or a kind of a, a kind of gold standard that we have to make everyone fit into. Yeah. Um, that there is the normal there's a there's a judgment attached to that yeah. um usual is our everyday experience to usualize yes. the experiences of other cultures to demystify them um is what we should be heading for um that that should be the work that we're doing 
I'm sure the listeners will find that really fascinating and it's really, really good point. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of diversity, I mean, we've talked about it there a bit, but what does it actually, well, we've talked really about what it does mean to you. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about what diversity means to you in terms of in a school setting. And then we're going to come on to talking about it in terms of the subject of English. Yeah, well, certainly why I find it so important is that I think we live in a world that's quite tribal in some senses and becoming even more tribal and polarised as we go through quite difficult times and you Mm -hmm. you only have to look at the news to see these kind of lack of understanding of the other we're talking about you know refugees crossing the channel um, and the the lack of empathy that's been shown um, for those people you know, somehow it isn't us versus them. And that is so entrenched in our media, in our, you know, the way that we comment yeah. on, on, our, on news articles. And I think schools have a responsibility to, to build a sense of cohesion, um, cultural cohesion, um, and to enable students to make informed choices about what they believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they only ever see one view. Well, this is it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's about, so, as you say, it's about the informed choices, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I do think we have a responsibility to show them that the world is bigger than just us. Yeah. Um, so that when people arrive from different corners of the planet with different stories, that it's not a, they're sat in the corner without us. You know, they're different, mm. that they are fundamentally us. We are there. We are them. Um and to We're enable humans to, yeah yeah absolutely um and not in a reductive way you know we are celebrating mm. difference and we are acknowledging difference um because that's the work of equity rather than equality but yeah. we are able to um empathize with people on a much broader level than we are at the moment yeah it is interesting and as you say due to i mean we won't go down this route too far mm-hmm. because it's a t- you know we could talk about these things all day couldn't we but mm. with the current situation the way things are since the pandemic yeah. started you know the black lives matter movement and yeah. george floyd has become more prominent which is you know a great time in that respect it's just yeah i mean things have do seem to have changed a lot don't they in the last few months yeah. in terms of what people are reflecting on and thinking about Absolutely. so moving back to schools for a moment mm-hmm. then why is it important do you think why is it so important really to have diverse representation in the subject of english oh well, i like to start my thoughts on the purpose of english with the word yeah often attributed to saint augustine he said that the world is a book and those who do not travel read only one page and later mm. on, George R. R. Martin, he of Game of Thrones fame, yeah. uh, rephrased it uh, with a similar quotation. A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. Uh, the man who never reads lives only one. And if you think about why why we start here, well, for me, literature is a window to the world. Yeah. It allows access to experiences and emotions that we may not necessarily come across in our daily lives. And it can be argued allows us as readers to start a journey towards empathy and understanding. Mm. We question those experiences that we read about. We mull over the why and the how of a text. And then I I move to the idea that, well, imagine the texts that we read are a single window that looks out on one view. And that's all we ever see. Mm-hmm. We see yeah. that view over and over again. We, come, we, we can become experts on that single view and we can yes. appreciate everything in that view. But in many ways, that's what an English curriculum lacking in diverse representation does. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's a missed opportunity that we have the, 
the opportunity to build more windows into our house so that we can choose to look out of any of them and see different views. Um, and certainly on a kind of personal level, the idea of developing a sense of empathy requires us to stand in someone else's shoes um, and not just um, the shoes of victims, the shoes of people mm -hmm. who have got rich histories, um, who have experiences that are really positive and the people who've made positive contributions to our society I think that's so, really important sorry to interrupt yeah, I was going to say no, I agree I think that's really important because that seems to be quite a big thing where you often see things are mm -hmm. like you say about other um other cultures or whatever but often it'll be in a negative way won't it and I think the yeah. idea of like you say showing in a positive light mm -hmm. without people being victims I think that's really important yeah sorry go on you were saying no absolutely and I think you know sometimes we make the mistake of showing only one narrative you know yeah it's a different window but it's the, a window looking out on slavery or mm -hmm. it's a, a window looking out on gang culture or crime and I think again that can be just as damaging as not having the window um, right. so you know English is such a fertile area for looking at how the world functions um, with all of its connections um, and so if the work can't be done in English you know it, it, we really should be the pioneers um, of creating Definitely. Um, because we've got the we've got the opportunity to do so in, in the ways that other subjects perhaps don't. Um, you know, and that was one of the things I used to enjoy when I was an English teacher. I mean, I obviously enjoyed a lot of things about it, but yeah. I used to love the fact that you could, you know, explore different aspects of life that people in that room in front of you in the classroom might have never well a lot of them had never experienced before and Absolutely. I often used to feel myself as an English teacher that there was you know aspects missing in terms of having a more diverse representation yeah, yeah. and so it's good that we're actually starting to look at it more we've got people like yourself who are now you know trying to bring that to the forefront and addressing the issue more mm -hmm. interesting so in terms of curriculum content um you know, is the current curriculum, is it fit for purpose, would you say? I think we need to think about it in different parts. So let's start with the key stage four curriculum. And I think we've definitely made some progress over the past few years in yeah. making sure that there was diverse representation within the GCSE set texts. And there is evidence for some inclusion of writers from diverse backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, we see Mira Sayal's Anita and Me scattered across GCSE set text lists. Um, there are... Uh, poems that are included. Um, certainly, I think there's been a slightly retrograde step in removing things like the the distinct poetry from different cultures yeah. uh, aspects of um, the the set text set poetry. Um, but you know, we can see that some examples have added text recently that show that there's some thought going into representation. And for me, um, the question as to whether it's fit for purpose, I certainly think it's on a journey. It's not there yet. Yeah. Um, and I've always said that the goal of introducing texts into the key stage four set texts is to ensure that they are suitably complex, both in terms of content and linguistic reach, um, and that they don't fall into the trap of presenting different cultures as stereotypical or as a, a narrative of victimhood. Um, so in so many ways, I, I like the idea that exam boards are now consulting and talking to people who have been um, studying texts from different cultures for a long time um, to be able to see where there is a kind of positive representation or stories that are compelling outside of the victim narrative. Um, so it is, it is a journey. I don't think we're there entirely No, and yet. can I just say on that, on that particular point that obviously me as working now for, you know, as an English product manager at Excel, one of the first things that was part of my job when I started was to try and get the new poetry, the new poetry collection out there. Yeah. And 
you know, that was one aspect of it. And we spent a lot of time consulting with um, the Poetry Society and various people. But then, you know, when you think about the, um, when you think about actually looking for literature texts, I mean, I I did spend a lot, because I commute, obviously, I spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time, we spent a lot of time reading, trying to find, you know, um, texts we could include. And it's actually, and that is an interesting point as well, is actually that Mm -hmm. a lot of them are non-fiction and they can't be put in, which is a bit annoying in that respect. You know, that's a big thing where I feel like, they, a lot of them would be really, really good additions. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect is it just shows you, though, doesn't it, how many, um, how there is a lack of, you know, authors mm-hmm. that, you know, are represented in from the different cultures, different identities, etc. because it was very difficult to find things. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the, something that I have spoken about um, previously, where, you know, access to texts um, by diver- writers from diverse backgrounds uh, is incredibly difficult because Definitely, there's a, yeah. a smaller pipeline, exactly. they are less likely to be published and, and more it. likely to have, you know, kind of um, restrictive copyrights because they're more modern texts. Yeah. So you don't get the reproductive aspect of those in the same way that you do for our canonical literature. But I think the fact that people are thinking about it is really positive I agree Um, and I think that like you say we're on that journey and we're at the sort of start of it now so I'm sure it's only gonna get Mm. better as we go along and hopefully it'll be quicker and swifter than you know it might have been as well yeah absolutely but I think in terms of you know the curriculum as a whole as as, is it fit for purpose for me the key area the fertile ground is key stage three um and we can discuss the individual exam boards I'm under under no doubt there's a movement towards diverse texts but I think how we as English teachers weave in diverse representation earlier in the curriculum Mm, and then therefore usualize the presence of different cultures yeah so it's part of a yeah part of a curriculum from the start sort of thing yeah Yeah. absolutely Um, and that's where I think some of the really impactful work can be done Um, and I think that's where I'm seeing so many departments talking on Twitter and working with individual departments on this is you know looking at well what are we teaching Um, is that a very much a kind of single narrative a white western European narrative is there are there ways that we can weave in um, different narratives as we go not just in terms of race but in terms of sexuality and and gender Um, and I think that's where so much exciting work is happening um, and we need to focus perhaps on that and and certainly move into key stage two um, as well. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. I think that's because I know that's one of the things, you know, we've been talking about with mm-hmm. teachers recently, or I've been talking about is trying to move into doing more with key stage three and, yeah. you know, making sure it's not just something that, like you say, is suddenly when you're in key stage four, you're trying to, because it does, you know, it's it's a whole life, you know, it's your life, isn't it, as a student yeah. from when you start in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, So we've kind of talked about it a bit there, mm. sort of there a little bit, but in terms of what needs to be done, we've kind of talked about, you know, I mean, are there any practical strategies that you can think of or that you could share with listeners about what needs yeah, to be done, basically? Absolutely. So um, in my training, I often talk about paralleling texts, um, you know, where you have a unit of work, ensuring that there are links made to texts from different cultures that enrich and feed into the narratives that we're presenting to our students. So a project that I'm working on at the moment is mapping archetypes across cultures. Um, And on a practical level where we teach epic literature, perhaps, or perhaps folklore and fairy tales, we can Mm. signpost the universality of the archetypes in those texts. 
So with a character such as Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, we have versions of this trickster archetype in Native American and First Nations culture in the form of the coyote spirit, which in turn is echoed in the appearance of Reynard the Fox in European folklore. Mm. And you can do similar um, kind of paralleling um, in terms of the hero um, of epic literature. So yeah. we talk about Odysseus um, and Aeneas, but we've also got Rama and Gilgamesh. Um, and to show students that the different cultures have these um, kind of similar cultural connections, that they aren't something that is specific to white Western Europe, that actually white Western Europe sits within a, a global narrative of literature. Um, that's a yeah, how important thing. would that be? How, how you know, mm. what the impact that those that idea would have on students, I think is yeah. great in terms of, you know, it would be very powerful because it's yeah. not just thinking about what's over there. It's all actually, look, this is what's happening, you mm. know, in terms of, like you say, those connections are made yeah mm-hmm. and I think what's incredibly powerful is if I'd been a child sitting in school um and I'd learned that not only was there this wonderful character called Odysseus and he went on this journey and he went into the underworld um that it would have been great to know that that actually happened in uh, literature from my culture yeah. and some people say the critics will say well that's the responsibility of your family um but my mm. family are not mm. literature specialists you know they no, know that's the, the thing isn't a, it yeah. yeah absolutely so it, I mean and some people don't even have you know it's just some people don't even have books in their own house at home and they're only yeah. the only time they get to read books and etc is when they're in school so I think it absolutely. definitely needs yeah. to be in the curriculum in front of students in the curriculum doesn't it yeah it yeah. does um, and certainly when you were thinking about, um, you know, this the seeing and being seen aspect of literature. I was just going to ask you about that because yeah. you talked about that in your mm. when you did your talk, didn't you? Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, go on. So I found that really, really moving. I think for me, it was, you know, uh, people often criticise and say, well, you know, you can't just have literature that represents everybody. Um, and that's not what literature is about. And my argument, no, it's absolutely what it's about. It's the universality of human experience in in yeah. text. Um, and so, yeah, the kind of realisation that um, me as a person with my background and my skin colouring didn't fit in at Pemberley or, you know, I couldn't place yeah. myself in the narrative um, meant that I was, you know, I, I felt like I I didn't have the right to enjoy it um, and the right to feel attached to it. Um, and I think we, we as human beings, we look for connections naturally to find our place in the world. We we try to see ourselves. Yeah, representations. Um, yeah, and, you know, and if it's not yeah. there, what, what message is that giving? Right. And if we only ever um, signpost texts that are about white Western Europe, about yeah. a particular group of people, then we're implicitly implying that that is the important. That That's is what matters. Thing. Yeah. And feeling like you don't matter, that you're not part of the narrative doesn't lend itself to social cohesion. Um, and it creates that tribalism that we're, we're, we want to work against. Um, but certainly that's one thing of paralleling texts. The other thing was actually looking at nonfiction to complement narratives. I know you talked about a lot of nonfiction texts being out there um, and being more representative. Yeah. But actually, we've got the chance to provide more windows into the world. I don't think there is the time or space to just wholeheartedly review everything and throw things out. I think as mm-hmm. English teachers, we're 
incredibly busy. Yeah. Um, and I think actually there's other ways in. So um, where we study war poetry, for example, and we mm -hmm. contextualise the actual words, we can use diary entries by Asian soldiers who served in the Allied forces. We show the images and we do contextualise our texts. And that's a golden opportunity to be able to present that diversity of experience um, and to, to provide different perspectives, the different lens with which we kind of present our narratives. Um, so it's not just about having writers from a different background or texts about people from different backgrounds. It's, well, how how do people with different skin colours and different religions and different cultures, how do they make this country what it is? Mm. Um, what yeah. part have they played? Um, and that's the part of seeing and being seen, finding a connection and, and an anchor in the literature. And that's not a bolt on. It's the whole narrative, not just yeah. part of it. Um, it's infinitely powerful, I think, to find common ground. It allows us to demystify the other. And we know that in our schools, in our playgrounds, we see early tribalism. We see distrust and misconceptions about people who are deemed different because they worship a different God or eat different mm. food. So it's that connection that requires um, a bit of thought from teachers, but it's essential to creating cohesive societies. Yeah, no, I agree with that totally. And I think you're right. The fact that is that it's just, you know, I mean, and the, the strategies you've mentioned there, the ideas that teachers could implement mm -hmm. that then, you know, how great would that be in terms of changing the mindset of maybe some students who have never, you know, had that sort of opened up to them sort of thing, mm -hmm. you know, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, it's very yeah. interesting. How do you, you know, what sort of ideas have you got in terms of you could share maybe with the listeners about Key Stage 3 in terms mm -hmm. of are there any specific texts that you, you know, that you've think you would recommend at all? Or is it not something you've, you know, or do you think it's better to do, like you say, the parallel, parallel um, texts, etc.? It's, it's obviously very difficult to kind of pick out individual texts. I, mean, yeah. I know what I've taught over the years. Yeah. Um, one of the things I teach in, in we teach in my school at the moment is um, um, Jamila Gavin's kind of retellings of uh, fairy stories. Um, right. And it's, it's it's a fantastic text in that, you know, we go from looking at kind of early folklore, uh, epic heroes and fairy yeah. tales to at the end of the um, year in year seven, looking at adaptations of those fairy tales. Um, and certainly that's something that I would recommend. It's, what, it's called Blackberry Blue and Other Fairy Tales. Blackberry Blue and Other Fairy Tales. Yeah, OK, absolutely. brilliant. Um, and it looks at a kind of kind of the fairy tale tropes through the eyes of characters that are really diverse. Um, but it's a brilliant way of kind of moving from your traditional kind of European um, yes. sense of uh, folklore and fairy tale to looking yeah. at the adaptations of it. Um, and, and within that, you know, you can then look at the archetypes across those texts. Cinderella is a, a classic example. Right. Yeah. Um, where, you know, that that story crosses cultures um, and, you know, how it's been adapted to the cultures kind of tell that story is fascinating so yeah that's a that's a strategy um that's a way in yeah sorry I put you on the spot there but that's it was just okay, something yeah. I thought of as we were talking so I thought if I was a teacher now and I you know it'd be quite good to sort of yeah, yeah. you know hear some examples of it and we're thinking about things for example like addressing critical voices have you got any thoughts on that and what have you got any you know um ideas or pearls of wisdom if you want to call it that <laughs> that you could well, uh, relay to the listeners I think, I mean, I, I always find it odd when people argue against diversification. Um, I think there's common misconceptions that in adding diverse voices, we somehow dilute the richness of the English curriculum. Um, 
you know, to the extent that we're removing canonical texts to appease these angry voices from from people from diverse backgrounds. And yeah. I actually think that's that's ridiculous. My argument it is, is yeah. simply not true. Um, I get the impression that critics feel that I'm arguing to remove Shakespeare and Wordsworth from the curriculum and, and replace them with Stormzy. Um, which <laughs> oh, is sake. ludicrous. Yeah. You know, I, Everything's I, got their own place, but you know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I said, everything is a narrative. Um, I think if we work towards a, a diverse curriculum, it's a way of exposing students to more knowledge, not less. Um, it's you know that idea of windows. Going back to that metaphor, more windows in your house. I'm just going to say light. that's got to be a that can't possibly be a bad thing. That has to be no. a good thing in terms absolutely. of exactly enriching your own mind and becoming, you know, somebody that's got. Or, you know it's not just looking at uh, start again shining a spotlight on one thing you actually have yeah. this wide vision which is only going to make you you know it's going to help you in your life isn't it really yeah and absolutely and I think that it's entirely reductive to say this is just about more diverse set texts at GCSE yeah. that's one part of it but what's more true to say is that we're adding um we're expanding the horizon for our students and allowing them to see their own place and others places in this kind of post 9-11 exactly. world we live in yeah. um to combat some of the maybe quite troubling tribalism that we're experiencing um and and I think, you know, where you do get that criticism that somehow this is about cancel culture or censorship or um, perhaps devaluing British writers and mm. British texts. I, I, I think that's a, a reductive way of thinking about it. Um, I think most English teachers are well aware of how to create uh, a sense of diversity and to celebrate diversity. Uh, and with a bit of help and a bit of support from people who are working on this, you know, teachers will be able to to do this quite easily um it just takes time and thought um yeah exactly but... when you are as you always are when you're teaching you're mm. always adding things to the curriculum changing different modules aspects of the mm. curriculum those are the opportunities in which to do it aren't they yeah absolutely and you know my um favorite thing about the last few months kind of you know in lockdown is looking at people reviewing their curriculum it's giving them time to actually think about what they're teaching that's um, true yeah and one of the things that came out of the Team English National Conference was a lot of people saying, well, I've had a look at our texts and, you know, we've got some real opportunities um, to insert kind of diverse narratives. And, and then just the examples that you get, it's absolutely fantastic to see. It's such an enriched curriculum when people are talking about, well, we're, we're studying Shakespeare, but we're also doing this, this and this. Um, we're studying uh, romantic poets, but we're linking to this idea from this culture and um, using art from over here and, and that's the fantastic that is yeah that thing you know yeah definitely that would definitely enrich any curriculum wouldn't it mm -hmm. that sounds really good I like the idea of that yeah and you know I'm just thinking about in terms of this is it's one of those strange things about the mm -hmm. pandemic isn't it some really fantastic things obviously yeah. there's, there's a lot of bad things but some fantastic things have come out of it and I think having more time to think and reflect on on your curriculum like you say because I know we did a um uh we did a conference recently and we planned to do it anyway actually months ago but because of what happened it was meant to be this October we had one last year and we did another one you know yeah. about diversity in the curriculum etc and yeah. so we did that and it ended up being online and it was great and it was really good and the amount of feedback afterwards from teachers were saying they were they felt so inspired mm. after that to sort of I'm going to try and bring like you're saying now this is what it's all about isn't it becoming mm. inspired to try and 
you know have a look at your curriculum and see what you can do to yeah. improve it and make it you know more mm. diversified etc so yeah That's I mean it's good. only a good thing isn't it and as you say it's yeah. the time issue isn't it for teachers yeah. I mean we talked about that on one of our other podcasts with Kat mm. Howard about workload and you know now is it a good opportunity to take a look at it and start to implement those changes yeah yeah and I think that we we do need to see it as a, an ongoing process that yes you know, knee-jerk reactions to um international events don't create good curricula yeah that's um, a good we've point got to, yeah. we've got to make sure that we are thinking about this and, and like with the building of any curriculum any kind of review is a, a process of evaluation a process of research um and yeah, then the trial and error and, yeah absolutely yeah, exactly yeah um and so departments that want to do this and to, to kind of really evaluate where they are uh, need to take an honest look at it in the first instance and say, right, well, whose voices are missing? Where, where are yeah. opportunities within our curriculum as it currently stands? Because I'm never advocating, um, you know, starting from scratch, building all mm. of your resources from scratch. No, of uh, course. No, that it, would be... it's, it's not possible. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do think that that slow kind of drip feed of, well, have we thought about um, whether we look at disability in particular in in a, um, a, a in some sort of positive way? You know, yeah. have we got representation of the you know imagery around that? Because uh, it often gets missed when we look at diversity. That think about disability as a something that's often represented in literature quite negatively. Um, yeah yeah no it is I mean I know from my my own childhood obviously was a long time ago now but you know mm. the books you'd read as you say the representation just wasn't there and as you say you know mm. even if you had somebody that was had a disability it was in a negative way wasn't it and in terms of well, how you presented a, yeah and there's a, a huge tradition of looking at disability really negatively. My um, one of my master's essays was on uh, representation of disability in 19th century fairy tales oh, um, yeah. And and I was fascinated by it because it was so intrinsically linked to industrialization and the idea yeah. of, kind of able-bodied, therefore more productive. Um, and then you've got you know your 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 narratives about kind of disfigurement and deformity. Well, that's um, what I was thinking from when yeah. I was a child reading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's an incredibly fertile thing to look at. So mm. uh, one thing I do advocate is you know kind of rather than just saying we are doing Shakespeare, um, you know, if that <laughs> yeah. unit was about representations of women in Shakespeare um, through the medium of whichever text that we're looking at that's another way of kind of weaving in um, kind of narratives about uh, different perspectives um, and, and looking at text through different lenses uh, so that we're not just saying it's the text as a whole we're focusing on this particular aspect of it uh, in terms of the the thematics rather than yeah. the, the linguistic um, yeah. but yeah um, so that's another way in and, and certainly I think the more we talk about it in our networks, so Team English is fantastic for this on Twitter. Yeah. Um, we talk about it in our networks, the more we can help each other to to, to really try and build that curriculum slowly um, that is representative and, and certainly positive. Yeah, as you say, it's it's definitely changing. There's definitely a sea change more and it's more thanks to things like Twitter it's more yeah. one of those things where people can discuss it and it can be brought out into the open and you can sort of have more time looking into it and if you're not sure about how to do something as you say on Twitter mm. people are always able to give advice and support which I think is amazing about the whole Twitter community in mm. that respect mm. yeah definitely 
that's well I mean that's about it really I mean we've covered yeah. quite a lot of things to talk about we've talked about a lot of things today but mm -hmm. there was one thing I just wanted to mention to you as well is the fact that I noticed you have a book coming out well, that was one of the reasons what drew me towards I was like I must get I must get Benny to come on the podcast <laughs> because you have a book coming out in November called okay. A Little Guide for Teachers Diversity in Schools yeah, um, so yeah so I just wondered if you that's why I thought you'd be the perfect guest to have because I know you've gone into schools a lot haven't you various schools and helped them you know in terms of looking at their own curriculum so I just wondered if you you know if you wanted to just explain a little bit about that to us absolutely so this was um the the baby of sage sage education um yeah. we were bringing out a series of books on different topics and one of them um their commitments was this this book on diversity um and I agreed to write this for them and it's it really is a little guide I think you know diversity in schools is such a huge huge topic and it yeah. is a, a little book but it's certainly a starting point for discussions in schools about what you can do to make uh, schools more representat representative and inclusive um, and I deal with not only race and, and culture but also kind of sexuality and, and disability and gender um, and it's a kind of whistle-stop tour if you like of uh, the ideas and the concepts that perhaps um, teachers could go away and then research for themselves. Mm. So as this they isn't go. just for English teachers. This is literally no. a guide for all teachers. That's yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. But it is practical. So things you can do in the classroom, things that are really important that you might not have even thought about, um, from you know seating plans to uh, the, the importance of names to um, the importance of uh, uh, you know understanding how many times there are interruptions in your lessons uh, along gender lines. Uh, so so oh, kind of yeah. providing a little bit of an insight uh, as a starting point for people starting on their journey towards thinking about diversity in their own settings. Yeah, and it's out at the end of October, I think. Oh, it's the end of October. Oh, sorry, yes. I thought it was November. Ah, okay. It, it is. Well, yes, the date keeps changing. I'm, I'm assuming that it'll at the moment, the end, end of October. But, okay. Yes. Last time I checked. It yeah, no, I'm really looking now, forward but... to reading that. I think it'll be fascinating, and I think, as you say, it's one of those. From what we've talked about about this book before, it's one of those books that you can literally pick up and start straight away thinking about, and also you know it makes you think about things specific things that you might not have thought about in terms of your own teaching like you say about the seating yeah. plans etc so yeah sounds really good um I'm sure I mean this has been really thought-provoking and you know if any teachers want to find you or any of the listeners want to contact you after this or whatever you your twitter handle I think that's the word we use is yeah. at Benny Cara isn't it yeah, absolutely I am okay. always there yeah brilliant okay good and I'm sure we're going to work together soon again in the future in terms so. of with the whole key stage three and you know mm -hmm. maybe you'll come and do a host be a host for us on one of our webinars in the autumn where we'll talk about that but yeah brilliant well I'm yeah. so glad that you could join us today or join me but us as in the listeners yes and yeah I really appreciate you doing this and good luck with the start well thank good luck you. from now onwards with the results coming out and the start of the new term thank you for having me it's been really lovely to talk to you